Good evening. So I make this uh, 7.30, um, so I will open this meeting. Firstly, I'd like to say that there are no uh, fire, fire practices planned for this evening. So in the event that you hear an alarm, to exit through the doors that are at the back of this room, and the assembly point is in the car park. Um, I'd like to start with apologies for absence and declarations of interest. Councillor Taylor. That's a declaration of interest. Okay, I know Councillor Lees has sent her apologies. And Councillor Rush. Okay, so moving on from that, uh, we have one person, uh, one representation from the public. So, um, Mr. Drinkwater, would you like to make your representation? Uh, sorry, can I just specify 15 minutes maximum? Please use the microphones. And for the general committee members, please, and we, we have a, a limited number of microphones, so please can you make sure you move, get a microphone moved towards you if you are wishing to make a, an intervention. Thank you. Thank you, and, uh, and good evening, Chair, Vice Chair, and, and members. Um, it was good to meet councillors Lavelle and Day at their suggestion on the 25th of June and we're pleased to address you all this evening uh, as we have done ever since councillor Perry chaired this committee. He's now proud to be Ulodda's honorary president and we're privileged to have his wise advice and counsel. Andy Mahoney is still Managing Director of 24-7 and a generous donor to Ulodda's cause of justice and transparency. Robert Sinnott is Managing Director of ACME Transport, ACME Bus, ACME all sorts. Um, as, as with Andy, he has several uh, strings to his bow. We have the public document pack for the, this evening. Thank you. Anna, no, thank you. Ms. Mawson. Uh, officers will be presenting their reports on the work undertaken by the licensing department, the outsourced vehicle testing regime, and enforcement. We would like to mirror this by giving you a picture of the history of relationships from the taxi trade's point of view um, since Ulodda was founded in 2004 at the then licensing officer's invitation. He's now retired, even though we haven't. First of all, a red flag matter of the moment from Andy Mahoney, whose request, along with Doug's, to register to speak was received yesterday, a day later than the, uh, 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 the rules of engagement allow. Andy has more than one division. He has run and grown the school's transport business with his son Ashley so that it is now established as a major service provider to initially Essex County Council and other local authorities in the UK over the last 20 years or so. 
More recently, he was instrumental in winning the airport taxi business from BAA, and then AG's successor, some of you may well know. With our help, he's won awards for business excellence, both regionally and industry-wide, and is a major employer in Ottlesford. If you look at pages 27 to 31 in, in your pack, and yours I'm sure is a, or may well be an electronic version, but, uh, and I'm quoting from the public document pack, and it may be that, uh, uh, that the numbers are slightly different, but uh, in, in my package, 27 to 31, you'll see the draft minutes of the last ordinary committee meeting on the 20th of March. There were, indeed still are, signs of tension, visible, even audible, between 24-7 and UDC's licensing department. This tension has been a running sore, and there is a nine-page letter dated the 10th of July, addressed to the Council from the expert pen of Roland Pelly, a director of Pelly's Transport and Regulatory Law, based in Stansted, drawing together the trade's concerns, and, and, and that refers particularly to 24-7, but also to ACME bus, uh, among others. About the legality of imposing a condition on school contracts drivers, the assessment of training needs and the provision of training for drivers, also known as Watford training courses in the um, agenda, and the licensing of vehicles. It is understood that there has been no substantive response as yet to this letter, uh, even though it was dated the 10th of uh, July. And of course, we do understand that there will be matters that require particular attention, given that it's a nine-page document. But uh, please, it, it, would be, it would be good for Andy to, uh, uh, and Robert to, to, and others to have, to have this, this, this matter suitably addressed. We can similarly find no trace of a reply to an email sent to Mr Cobden on the 21st of March, which was the day after that uh, 20th of uh, March uh, licensing meeting, which was from my, from my, from my fair hand. Uh, it may be that there has been a, a reply received, but we can't trace it. And we were striking while the iron was hot about matters that were discussed that evening. If we may move on to matters best described as working constructively and convivially in partnership with you, our regulators and council officers, Councillor Lachlan will tell you from her days as chair of the licensing committee, which was in the days when the, uh, the Lib Dems were uh, all powerful, that she enjoyed the professional camaraderie with all of us in the trade to the point of joining us for regular trade liaison meetings which were held in, in this very room, uh, normally full to overflowing, I have to say, with operators and drivers interested in finding out what, uh, what it was all about and, and listening to officers talking about issues of the, uh, of the moment. Doug will tell you about his work leading the licensing task group when he was the uh, chairman of the committee. That secured over £140,000 from the trade's overpayment of licence fees as a cost offset 
from 2010 through to 2017. We also work together with officers at county and district levels to introduce funded CCTV in licensed vehicles, including some of the protocols in the, the, old, the old green book, which you, uh, which you will inevitably have seen, even though it is now uh, uh, um, replaced or in the process of being replaced. So, Quality Taxi Partnership, QTP, some of you may remember. That was another ECC initiative we all bought into. And the table of fares for taxis was regularly updated. Perhaps not regularly enough, but it was updated up until about 2011 uh, through an agreed process. There is at least one draft minute in your pack where a licensing panel had to deal with a taxi driver overcharging a customer and not displaying his table of fares as required by law. We currently have a trade working party developing proposals to increase metered rates, as agreed with Mr Cobden. The taxi ranks in Saffron Walden, Great Dunmo and Stansted Mount Fitchett are the subject of regular complaints from the trade that taxi drivers cannot always ply for hire due to inconsiderate parking by other road users. We will be putting proposals to the Council to strengthen the rules. Finally, we've established, all of us, I think, a good working relationship with Mr Cobden as your lead licensing officer and his colleagues. We need now to reduce tensions and we look forward to working with you all going forward. Thank you and have a good meeting. Okay, thank you Mr Drinkwater. Do any of the members have questions for Mr Drinkwater? Do you have a recommendation on how to reduce the tensions that you feel are there? Well, if Mr Mahoney was uh, able to speak, he would uh, be able to answer that directly because he's one of the most involved uh, people. Um, I think we're looking now, uh, Councillor Foley, uh, to getting a substantial response to the nine-page document to which we referred. Um, I think there, there is a fundamental difference between um, officers who have advised the committee and ourselves about the matter of restricted licenses. It's, it's, it's been on the agenda of meetings that we've had uh, with Mr. Cobden in the chair. Um, it, it's been on, on, the, on the agenda since my uh, first trip into hospital, six, better part of six months ago. So it, 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 it is this running sore to which I referred, and, and, and I'm, 
I'm going to leave it at that as, 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 as something that I would like to see coming out um, in the fullness of time. Well, hopefully the fullness of time is quite short. Okay, thank you. So, moving on to the minutes of previous meetings. Do any of the members have comments on the minutes of previous meetings? Chairman, I have a couple of on page 19, where 24-7 uh, is, is referred to as 24%. Um, so if we could make sure that correct on the copy list. Um, it's quite difficult. I think we have to note, Mr. Chairman, because apart from the last meeting, none of us was here. Thank you, Mr. Barker. Any other comments? Okay. So that's um, the case. Can I have somebody to uh, uh, propose that we the approval of the minutes? And seconder. Thank you. And Councillor Barker, I will ensure that those typographic errors are corrected. Thank you. So now, moving on to agenda item number three, the licensing progress and information report. Uh, Ms. Turner. Thank you. Yeah, this is found on um, page 93 of your report onwards, um, short report. It's basically a report for information only, just giving you a brief outline of the types of licences that we process within the licensing team. All the figures have been taken from the last financial year, which is the 1st of April um, 2018 to 31st of March 2019. Um, obviously, you have the figures and a brief outline of what we do under each act. Um, the taxi licensing is the biggest area of the work in the licensing section, and it's grown a lot in the last 10 years. This can be seen on the chart that's attached as Appendix A to the report. Um, over the last five months alone, I can report we have licensed three times more private hire vehicles type of license received in the name of taxis. So we have 800, probably eight 900 applications in the last five months that we've had, um, so quite a lot. Um, now I'll move on, so I won't go too much about it. You've got, you've got your, your figures in there. Um, temporary event notices, that's the busiest area that's in the Licensing Act 2003. Um, we have about 500 of those a year. Um, although this Act covers several types of applications which are listed in the report, um, the licensing app policy is very complex, um, several pages long, 20-odd pages long, last reviewed in 2017 by the committee, um, Licensing Environmental Committee, and it's valid for five years. Um, if a major change is introduced by the government, then within that period, then it would come back, we'd revise it and come back to committee, obviously, and then go out again for up to another five years. Um, at the moment, <clears throat> there's nothing in place that we're aware of, um, but obviously if it does come in, we won't do it for every change. It has to be sort of a major change. Um, and the, this policy is available on our website for viewing if any member wants to see it. The Gambling Act 2005, um, we don't have a lot of 
betting shops and betting premises, as you can see, in our district. Um, the busiest areas are society lotteries, where they have a licence for printed tickets, uh, printed raffle tickets. Um, the last policy for this was recently updated in January this year, and that's fairly for three years. Um, so, obviously, another change. That same thing applies. So if more changes come in, then we'll take it back and change it. Um, charity collections. These consist of permits for street and house-to-house collections. There's no fee payable for these, but we do issue several of them a year. Most of the house-to-house collections are actually relating to clothing collections, more than collecting of money. Probably only one or two are collections of money. Um, but we, do, we don't have to license clothing collections because there's no money actually taking place. And we prefer to do this to know who's collecting in the district and when they're collecting. So, so we decided amongst the Essex authorities this would what, what we're doing. We do the same with direct debit fundraising so we know when they're in our area and when they're going round. So just to stay on that one. So it looks like we have a lot of house to house, but it's not quite, <laughs> quite what it looks. Um, scrap metal dealers. Um, these relate to site and mobile collectors' licences. So we've only got a few of them, as you can see, and the difference between them is described in my report, but basically one's a site and one just goes round in the van collecting. We also deal with table and chair permissions. Um, I haven't put them in the report. We only have a few, sort of around 10, 11 in the district. Um, the main decision with these lies with Essex County Council. Um, so we go out to consultation, but the County Council do the final decision on this. Um, they usually have to make sure a wheelchair can get through on the pavement and a pushchair. That's part of their stipulation. And it's only for tables and chairs that are on the public highway, not on any private land. Um, so really that's, that's all I've got to say. We are going to be doing further updates and, on standards and performance um, for committees going forward. Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you. Councillor Barker. Two points I noticed. An idea of how many taxis are. Because I don't think most people realise that this is totally a different scale from other. Yeah, no, I think they've got about 400 licensed in and and vehicles. So I know we have licensed in five months, definitely more than East Hearts have in the entire year. So, yes. The other other question is, do we set ourselves, is there a time limit for issue of licenses? And how do we perform? If we say we'll get a license within weeks or whatever the parameters, how do we perform against that? Well, we have recently introduced a 28-day um, period in which to get the licence ready, but that has to be when everything's ready to go, not from when they first start the application off and send it in, and then we're waiting for various documents. So it's when we're ready to go, we've set a 28-day period. We have come, because of the influx of applications, particularly on taxis, um, we have come very close to that 28-day period, I will say that, yes. But we, we obviously try not to, but it depends on <laughs> what's going on in the office and everything and how busy we get. You know, This time of the year is the busiest because of school contracts. Uh, we have to try and get them all ready for the beginning of September. So. Chairman, if I may, on page 98 of your report, you refer to uh, new drivers have to undergo a driving proficiency test with the effect of the, from the 1st of June this year. Can you tell me what is this test, who organises it, who devises it, who applies it? I'm curious, please. Sorry, if I could take that to Councillor Freeman, that's actually going to be covered in more detail on, uh, uh, in Section 5. 
Okay. Thank you. So moving then on to item four on the agenda, the licensed vehicle compliance <coughs> testing station. So Mr. Chamberlain. Okay, so uh, this report is for your information about our current uh, vehicle testing stations and how they operate in the district. Uh, at current, we license private hire vehicles and hackney carriage vehicles, as you are uh, aware, and they are required to undergo compliance tests. Now, for vehicles that are over five years old, this is done twice a year, and vehicles that are less than five years old, this is done once a year. Um, now, these checks are made in addition to a standard MOT test. The purpose of the compliance as it is test is to ensure that licensed vehicles are maintained at a mechanically higher level uh, than normal vehicles, which are subject to one MOTs once a year, to ensure public safety, in essence. There are a large amount of older vehicles um, that are older than five years old and older than ten years old that are licensed by this council by, by different operators, and these older vehicles, obviously, same of any car, they encounter more mechanical issues due to their age and the amount of miles that they travel in the, in the, uh, by being licensed. Uh, we currently have nine approved garages, which are on your list there, uh, that do the compliance tests. Now, under current MOT regulations, there are different categories for MOTs, uh, one to seven. Uh, private hire vehicles and hackney, carri hackney carriages should go a class four MOT, and all of the approved garages um, on that we have uh, maintain an inspection lane for MOTs. Some of these garages uh, became approved testing stations uh, a number of years ago. Um, to be classed as an approved testing station, they were only required to submit an application, complete and submit an application form to us and some risk assessments and the qualities as well. Uh, policies. So this application process has not been updated or looked at for a considerable period of time uh, and officers have identified this as a risk. When the garages were approved by the councils they were initially visited by members of the licensing team when they applied. However no routine compliance checks have been carried out to by officers to ensure uh, that good inspection standards are being maintained by, by the garages. Uh, the garages were issued with guidelines for mechanical uh, defaults so they can check when they do their inspections and when they would do those they would either pass or fail a vehicle. Uh, those test sheets are then emailed to the council for our processing and to be logged onto their files. Now it's been acknowledged that the guidelines have not changed that we issued for over 10 years. And obviously during this period, vehicles themselves have changed, safety standards have changed, uh, emission standards have changed, uh, and as, her, as has our own licensing policy. Um, MOT standards themselves were, were changed on the 20th. Sorry, uh, they were in, changed last year by the government and include stricter rules to car emissions and, and diesel standards. In addition, vehicles with defects are now categorised by an MOT itself as dangerous, major or minor. Recently, officers uh, have identified that where vehicles have failed an MOT, some of them have occasionally passed compliance tests for the council at the same time. Officers have been advised by... I think I've got a faulty one, so... ...have been uh, advised... 
So they have been advised by our garages that um, they are not meeting the standards in some respects that MOTs do meet now. There is a, a clear public safety issue here that needs to be addressed. Um, I think all of us would agree with that to ensure that our standards remain high and in essence keep the public uh, safe, which is, which is our primary concern. There is a document published by the Driving Vehicle Standards Agency, which used to be known as VOSA. Um, that set, these set out the standards for all vehicles, um, not just licensed vehicles, which is called the Categorisation of Vehicle Defects. And it was last updated in November last year. Recent recommendations um, are that officers use this as a platform for outlining vehicle inspection requirements. Um, the council has no current written contracts that we've been able to source in place outlining basic conditions for the garages to comply with in order that they remain an approved garage. Although officers are not, are not suggesting inappropriate behaviour by any of the garages, there are no checks made by the council um, on these garages to ensure that vehicle inspections are being done correctly. Um, there is also near cl no clear policy defining action that the council would take if inappropriate behaviour was evidenced by us. The council currently does not have a list of all the vehicle testers at each garage and therefore cannot determine if the MOT testers are class 4 qualified. Following inquiries that I've made with the DVSA, um, all MOT testers should be able to provide their qualifications to us should we request them. And the DVSA have only advised that all MOT inspectors get refresher training each year, but equally this is not provided to the council at the moment. A vulnerability potentially exists that would allow unqualified testers to be inspecting, therefore, uh, our licensed vehicles. Um, therefore, we have the opinion that there are a number of potential risks in the way that the current regime uh, is being implemented, and this could potentially undermine public safety in the way that the current vehicle compliance, compliance system is being done. We're therefore proposing to identify and implement necessary improvements and report back to members in due course once we've made these satisfactory uh, changes. Thank you, Chair. Thank you. So, Councillor Freeman. Yes, thank you. Um, it's very good that you've made this report, in my opinion. Uh, it's very good that you're uh, as honest as you are about it. But it does worry me in the sense that um, we've identified holes, for want of a better expression, in our system uh, and clearly we need to plug those holes. So what I'm looking for, and maybe you have this already, um, it just hasn't been put in here, uh, we're looking for a roadmap or a timetable uh, for this. Just due course doesn't do it, yeah. because if we're not testing... Imagine you were operating aircraft, for example. Yeah. You say, well, we know we don't quite maintain them the way we'd like them to be maintained, but it's OK, we're looking at it. That wouldn't be an answer, as we know, you know. If it was an operating theatre, you'd say, well, actually, we're not quite up to scratch, we're looking at it. That wouldn't be an answer either. So I think we need a timetable of some sort. Um, how you prepare this amongst yourselves is up to you. But it must be a timetable that's um, available to the committee. And then we need to measure metrics, Chairman, I think, on this. We need to actually tick off the rate at which we approach uh, the milestones in this timetable. Otherwise, it's just a declaration, and it may not happen. I would feel much more confident if... Maybe next, when we have, I gather we have these meetings every three months. So I would suggest for the next meeting in three months' time that we have a firm timetable and that we can all agree to move towards various objectives and tick them off. Thank you.
certainly uh, agree with you that uh, we need to, to look at uh, a timetable. Um, I obviously need to discuss this with my colleagues about firming up the dates. I, I don't want to give you a date and then not meet that guide deadline. I think that's that's not the right thing to do. Um, I think what what is best that we, we come up with a, a strategy and report back to you at the next meeting of what we're doing and where we're up to and then we could have those clear time scales ready for you. And I would suggest, Chairman, that it doesn't have to wait until the next meeting. Uh, we, we, can, we can receive material. Uh, uh, um, just to, to reiterate what Matthew saw, what Mr Chamberlain said there, the reason we haven't put a timetable into the report is we're about to embark on a restructuring of the team. So we will be starting this work with immediacy, but we didn't want to put a time frame that we couldn't meet to it. But I do accept the points, and we are aware of that. Sorry, uh, Councillor Barker. Please. Thank you. Um, I, I enjoyed the report. I also enjoyed reading the appendices. You know, the fact that check whether there's a sp speedometer that's working. Is there one fitted? Check if it's broken. No, you can refuse it. But I did get to the bit about front-wheel drive, and it talks about transmission, it talks about front-wheel drive, but it doesn't mention rear-wheel drive. Do not rear-wheel drive vehicles need their transmission checked? I know that's the appendix. It's not your appendix. But it's just a bit strange it mentions front-wheel drive cars and not rear-wheel drive cars. And, I, you know, I'm a person who can sort of get a windscreen changed or change a tyre or change the oil, but that's about my level of mechanics. I'm not a voter tester either. <laughs> um, sorry, DVSA, I should say. Um, I, I agree. The, the, this, isn't, this is technical. This is very technical stuff we're looking at here, and, and, and none of us here are mechanics, and I think this is why we need a bit of to get our heads down and look at this correctly, maybe do some benchmarking of other authorities to see what they're doing uh, and, and compare. Um, hopefully with our critical friends, and, and we are members of the Lear 6 Licensing Forum for taxi drivers and, and other licensing matters, we can get the information off them that they're using as well. To Ask them the question for me. Yeah. Will do. Okay. Councillor Eek. Thank you, Chair. Um, can you tell me how long this situation has gone on for? Are you aware of timescale on that one? S certainly the system has been in place for, uh, in its current regime, over 10 years. Um, this matter was brought to um, previous management before, and it, it, it was... It was not looked at as it is being looked at now, um, and this is why we want to vigorously look into this now to to, to do it. But yes, the answer to your question is that the regime as it has been in place has been in place for over ten years. Okay. Question. Yeah, so, so there was something, uh, I'll give you an example of one, and I can't say for every particular standard, because some standards still might be different, um, but there was an issue with one vehicle recently that had its diesel particulate filter that had been tampered with. Now, it passed the compliance test, but when I, obviously as a novice, I asked the garage for further details, they said, well, if this had had an MOT, it would have failed its MOT but they had to pass it because our standards hadn't been updated. So these are the kind of things that um, we're looking at here. 
Um, obviously, the government have improved MOTs, but we're lagging. We're lagging in this respect, and there's no point in me hiding that fact to you. So, coming back to Councillor Freeman's point, the the time scale needs to be extremely short. Otherwise, we've got public vehicles, you know, and the district council surely would be liable if we uh, fail to meet those standards. couldn't answer about the liability but yes I agree that I, I we, we fully appreciate it. and I think this is something that all stakeholders around this table would agree officers operators and and members that it, it does need to be done swiftly okay. councillor Foley thank you is that one yeah I talk about all stakeholders at what point do we liaise with the industry on this and how because in terms of time scale it strikes me that that would be an important uh, thing to be doing at this stage, liaising with them and getting their input before we come to any decision. Uh, when you say, I, I presume you mean the garages, is that what you, who you mean? Well, uh, yes, the operators will will be aware of of this. Uh, of course, um, the the garages, obviously, I think are the more dare I say important stakeholders in this, because they're the ones that will be doing the testing. They're the ones that need to be aware of the regulations and and and, and that. So we need to make sure that they're fully compliant and on board with these changes. And so, you know, we we will need to look at this um, with them, uh, and also keep operators operators fully aware um operators are fully aware of the new imminent changes to our vehicles in relation to the emissions tests now whether that means some vehicles that they might have might be dropped off their fleet for newer vehicles possibly that might be the case which will also help um but yes the bulletins will go out to operators as as we go through this process as well okay thank you so just on this, my understanding is that you are informing this committee that you are starting this process of review. Yes, we are. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And do you believe that you can respond to the, um, to the committee, even if it's a written response, before the next planned committee meeting? Um, given your uh, yours and ours concern about this being a pressing issue, I, I would yes, I would hope we could yes. So I think what we can do post this meeting is come up with a reasonable time to come to uh, uh, an initial response, and then we'll communicate that to all of the members of the committee. Okay. Okay. Thank you. So moving on then to um, item. Five, the requirements on placed on holders of driver's licence. Yes, Mr Chamberlain you. again. Yeah, thank you again, Chair. I should not come tonight, should I? Um, right, OK. So um, we as an authority, as you're aware, we talked about it before, set our own criteria for, for drivers to ensure they are fit and proper persons. Um, the overriding factor of this is the protection and wellbeing of the public. Um, and part of the ch changes that were made in our 
recent um, consultation and, and, and new policy that came out in March as the two conditions on for the drivers, which are detailed in the report, which were initially removed from the list of conditions from the 1st of May. However, they remain part of the formal policy framework. Uh, and as such, all drivers are still obligated to comply with these. Um, these matters were to be covered in the new suitability policy to be agreed on the same day. The change to where these requirements sat were made in an attempt to bring clarity around the matter to people who both currently hold a licence and those applying to this authority for the licence. Feedback from the drivers um, showed that this practice, in practice this goal had not been achieved. And when a driver's licence is issued, uh, the applicant is given a, a driver's badge that must be worn whilst driving and a paper part of the licence confirming other details including the conditions of licence. Concerns have been raised that existing drivers uh, that read their paper licence may consider that the obligations above in relation to these two conditions may no longer apply um, as they do not appear um, as they have in previous years on the conditions of licence. This could potentially mean that long-standing drivers of good character could fall foul of failing to report matters to this authority and having the assumption that there's no longer the requirement to do so. Uh, we've explored possible solutions to this issue and consider that reinstating the requirements to have these two conditions put on swiftly, uh, if, if members are in agreement, it was the best way to address these concerns. Whilst it is possible to contact all drivers to clarify this point, it would take considerable officer time and involve the associated costs, which would then be passed on to the trade, which is, which is not what any of us want to do. By reinstating the conditions so that they are included on paperwork that is already issued to every licensed driver, there would be no financial implications to this authority or the trade, which is, again, a very important issue. The conditions as they will appear on a licence, if approved, are attached in your Appendix A, and they've been highlighted, um, and they are conditioned points D and E. And no other changes are proposed at this time. Uh, as you're aware, the licences are issued for three years, unless there's good reason for issuing a shorter licence in an individual case. And the change to the uh, conditions agreed by members took effect on the 1st of May only. So the conditions detailed in this report remain on the vast majority of the driver's licences issued by us. So if you approve the recommendations of this report, then the conditions will be included on all new and renewed driver's licences issued from this point. So hopefully going forward, maybe even tomorrow, if we could get that sorted. Thank you, Chair. Okay. Uh, Councillor Barker. Thank you, Chairman. Um, as we go to the conditions, which are on page 179, um, we've got a, or what to me would appear to be a small typo in number 8, which reads, not to use the equipment of the type referred to in paragraph 6 above. I think you mean paragraph 7 above, unless you're using food and drink in a funny way. Paragraph 6 refers to food and drink. Paragraph 7 refers to radios. And then paragraph 8 says not to use radios, I think. Are you with me? Yes. Good? Yeah, I can see. Yeah. Look at that. I'm, I'm quite happy with your two new proposed recommendations. I'm happy to propose those. But I do wonder again about paragraph 20. This is a work vehicle. So we're saying the driver shall not at any time smoke tobacco or any other like substance electronic cigarettes in a licensed vehicle should we not be adding that he should not permit his passengers 
smoke? What, would that would that, that that would be a duplication of law? So the condition that that's under, covered under the Health Act 2006. And correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. So the yeah would make it. Right, so all, all our licensed vehicles and uh, under law as well are, um, are, com are required to have no smoking stickers as well. Uh, anybody caught without them would face a fixed penalty notice and um, it would be uh, an offence under the, the relevant act. Um, so, so there is that. Okay, well, if, if that, you're happy it's, it's not there, then yeah, that's, that's So the, con the conditions are in, in, in addition to the legisl uh, relevant legislations. And, um, but I do in relation to paragraph six, yes. We I think if members want us to look at that we can. Thank you. Are there any other questions? Do I I, I had noted that uh, Councillor Barker proposed acceptance of this modification. Do we have a seconder? Thank you. Any body against? Okay. So. Okay. Thank you. So now we move on to agenda item six, enforcement update. Uh, Mr. Chamberlain. Thank you, Chair. To uh, analyse our licensing uh, what we do the 30th of June this year the Watts will go on to a further uh, details of the Enviro crime stuff in his report um, so between um, the 1st of June 1st and April to the 30th of June we had 81 cases involving the licensed trade of which 56 were relating to drivers two relating to hackney carriage vehicles 17 a vehicle, private hire vehicles, one relating to an operator to applicants for licences. The number of premises licence cases during this period was five. There was also one case open for personal alcohol licence holders. There were no cases to table in chair permits or scrap. One driver was suspended in this period for a breach of their licensing conditions. And three uh, other dry vehicles have been suspended by myself under delegated powers. Um, there has been obviously further um, since this time. Two hackney carriages were also suspended under section 68 of the Act as well. Um, lifted the suspension. Um,
very serious matter that was that was put on to us and um he was revoked with immediate effect and now um that there is an appeal lodged for that decision um if i've got any further questions if i can help you further chair or councillors let me know thank you are there any questions I just comment it's very good work, Chairman. If I, if I... ...to be safe. You don't expect yourself to be getting into an unsafe vehicle or with an unsafe person. And if you put your children into a taxi, for example, you would expect them to be safe. You're not putting them into a dangerous environment. And so the fact that we find any, in terms of either drivers or machines, that are not up to standard worries me deeply. Uh, and, I mean, how do these examples come to your attention? It, Presumably, we don't do spot checks. Maybe we do do spot checks. But how do you discover these? Because you've got 81 cases here, yeah. uh, which is a lot. Now, we've got a lot of taxi drivers as well. But even so, it still worries me. Because if I call a taxi and I put one of my children into it, or one of my grandchildren, I expect it to be a safe environment. And some of these defects are actually very unsafe defects, broken springs and things like that. Mm. You, know? you just wouldn't drive your own vehicle under those circumstances. You wouldn't drive it 100 yards. No, people are driving around in what appears to be a bona fide taxi until somebody like you stops them. So how do we go about finding out about these things? So um, if I look at a few of these, so um, some of these actually do come in in, in the garage test where they've actually failed. Um, so and so, some have actually in relation to uh, one with an MOT, um, they've you can it's, it's available to the public where you can check vehicles on the MOT checker and you can check an MOT history so I can check any particular fault on any vehicle. So those are, are come to us. The majority of our work is reactive. Uh, at the moment there isn't we haven't got the resources to be continuously proactive. So if somebody might say, I was in a taxi and there was a particular problem, then we might call it in for an inspection and find these particular faults and at that point it's suspended. Um we haven't got um so that's how we find them as well um so it is a lot of reactive work unfortunately you know with with the issue of a vehicle uh, i think it's important to note down that you can pass an mot you can pass the, a compliance test but then a week down the line it could then at that point become faulty um and sometimes the proprietor doesn't know some most, most of the time i would say they do but sometimes they don't um but yes, a lot of it is reactive stuff that we get complaints. Chair, may I? I think the point that you make is extremely valid. And certainly the licensing, the purpose of the review we've just underdone is to address those very concerns. And obviously the safety of vehicles and the suitability of the drivers within those vehicles and the core of what we've done with the reviews. And that will be shared by officers and indeed shared by members of the trade tonight and we've worked very much together to improve that. Um, the team of enforcement is, has been limited to reactive stuff in the 
officers are there. The restructure will double the number of enforcement officers and have a spread across the process team that will give us a much greater resilience in the future to address these matters. Um, in relation to the driver suitability, um, obviously having the training, we've moved ourselves from a standard of statutory minimum, very much respect review. We'll hopefully see in those figures as we see changes we start to bed in. Thank you, Chair. Okay, thank you. And is this working? Can people hear me when I speak into this mic? Okay, that's good. Okay, and I think this is a large part of what we're also trying to do um, with the compliance testing stations review uh, activity as well. It's just to ensure that our standards do remain um, uh, suitable. The the only element, well, the main main element of proactive work that does go on is the stop checks that Matt does with the police service, which is ever since he's been doing it now for the last year and a bit, had been tremendously successful. Now, most of those, it's important to note that most of those figures there on the list of, within his report aren't necessarily UDC driving vehicles. They're transport for London vehicles. They're vehicles from all over the place. So there are, it is, there are worrying statistics, very much so. And so we are, in, in the last six months or so, we have been, uh, Matt and Sonia have been doing more of those events. So there's normally about two a month on average, if we're able to resource it. Um, so there are worrying statistics, uh, but that, is a good bit of proactive work that we undertake, and uh, it pays dividends. Can I say, Chairman, I it's not a criticism of the staff at all, in no way. Uh, it's a question of how the situation develops uh, or comes about, and if we understand how it comes about, then we can work out how to solve it. Okay. Thank you, Mr Chamberlain. And, yes, I think it is... Very good to hear that we have an effective enforcement activity taking place. In place. Thank you. So moving on to uh, item seven, the environmental health commercial activity report. Uh, Mr. Cobb. Cobb. Thank you, Chair. Um, give you a break from licensing. Environmental health.
Thank you, Mr. Cobden. Councillor Reek. Um, on the imported food control, what numbers mean uh, animal origin? Do you know how many of those were rejected? And last question, are you gearing Okay. Thank you, Mr. Cobden. So moving on to item eight, uh, the environmental health protection update. Mr. Watts. Yes, good evening. This is a very straightforward, uh, quick report, last on the agenda, so um, uh, probably it would be better to screed, um, to respond to your questions if you've got anything specific. But essentially, I'm one part of environment health. Uh, my neighbour, Tony, uh, over the way, he deals with infectious disease and various other matters, as you know. Uh, we deal with all environment protection matters. So uh, what we tend to deal with is split into four separate, four separate headings within our service area. So that's environment protection, and that can include nuisance, pollution, air quality, contaminated land, all those sort of matters, uh, your noisy, from your noisy neighbour to your uh, noisy construction site. Um, we do have uh, private sector housing and various other sort of typical related problems of that ilk. Um, then we, we have private sector housing. Um, private sector housing will be part of a briefing that I think that I've got in front of members on, in, in November. Um, that deals with all manner of things such as licensing of houses and multiple occupation. Uh, we deal with uh, complaints in respect of poor standards of housing, um, illegal evictions. We deal with uh, Issued, we have about £300,000 worth of disabled facility grants that we process and issue. We have discretionary grants that we also provide. Um, so really, and, and also we endeavour to uh, bring houses back into occupation, so we do quite a bit of empty homes work. So that is basically it within the private sector housing side. Then there's the enforcement services. Part of Matt has been part of it at the minute, but he's going to slowly move to Tony's team to focus on, uh, uh, which is the right thing to do in respect of license, tax licensing enforcement. Um, but uh, we have another officer within our service area that deals with general and viral crime matters, uh, fly tipping investigations. We have something in the region of about 500 fly tips in the borough every in the district every year. Our officer investigates those. There's the abandonment of tax vehicles, and believe it or not, we get an awful lot of those. Um, then there's other general low-level uh, environmental crime matters. And, of course, then we have the animal welfare services. So um, that's related to your strays. There's, there's been a regime change that took place in October in respect of animal welfare licensing. We've had an awful lot of animal welfare licensing come into the service as a result from that change. That's brought 
uh, quite a bit of money into the service as well. Um, uh, we deal with antisocial behaviour and related nuisances. Um, and we cross, uh, the uh, officers deal with that as part of, to some degree, as part of their nuisance training. So it's just um, the table below, just uh, under paragraph 13, just gives you a sort of indication of uh, sort of the work that comes into our service area. There are, looking at that now, there are areas that I could elaborate on and, and add to. Um, but it just gives you a, a, an idea of the volume. As you see, planning consultations, it, it does take up quite a lot of our advice, a, a lot of our time as well. And we're hoping to, as part of the planning re uh, review that has taken place recently, to increase uh, our capacity within the service. So we're hopefully subject to uh, management approval, going to uh, employ another part-time EHO to support that work. Um, and that work, generally speaking, to focuses on noise, pollution, dust, uh, air quality, uh, contaminated land, and those sort of manners of uh, manner of um, issues. Um, and then uh, the other main area of work is more of the service requests that we're getting for nuisance-related complaints. Um, and again, they could be anything from odour complaints to noise and vibration. Uh, but that's basically it. I'm happy to uh, answer any questions you might have. Okay. So thank you, Mr. Watts. Mr. Foley, Councillor Foley. Thank you. Um, just a brief uh, question. From time to time, and I'm sure you get it as well, uh, people inquire, is it legal to have a bonfire in somebody's garden? I, people come through to me and I, I, I've never quite I'm completely yes, sure. It yeah, is legal. You can have a bonfire in your garden. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it, it depends on... It becomes a nuisance at some stage. And, and, yeah. And how do you... Nuisances are unlawful. So basically it's a subjective assessment of how impact that might be on your environment. So if it's something that's detrimental and it's something that we take into account time of day, impact, so on and so forth, if we find that as a nuisance, we've got a legal obligation to serve an abatement notice. If they then choose to ignore that abatement notice, we can prosecute or do works in default. So, uh, you know, that might be calling out the fire service or getting trucks out to, to, to smother it or whatever it might be. So um, it is perfectly acceptable to have a bonfire. If it's commercial waste, though, it's not. If it's commercial waste, you've got to have a license. If it's dark smoke, it's not as well. You'll be, you'll be fined if it's dark smoke. So uh, though it depends on who's doing it and how they're doing it. Sorry, Councillor Freeman. Yes, thank you. You have a fascinating job. There's never a dull moment. Um, can you tell me, how many air quality monitoring stations do we have in Uttlesford? I'm not referring to the diffusion tubes. I mean, I know I've got a big one outside the door here, um, which samples 24-7. It's actually a machine. I think there's one at the Thaxted Road, Radwinter Road Junction. Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, how many others do we have in Uttlesford? That's it. Oh, that's, right. that's it. Yeah. Okay. Divested diffusion tubes. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Okay, all right, thank you. Thank you. Then Councillor Barker. Um, when you talk about environmental protection and service requests, are those discrete things? Or, you know, I can think of somewhere in my brain, I'm sure you know about, but, you know, I've got so many emails about, we've got a proposition to cancel that anymore. But, you know, it's one place with umpteen different requests. 
Good question. I suspect... Appreciate some of these don't go. They just keep coming back across your desk. And June here, you're not on their events over the summer quarter. No more in you know, because the door people are outside or the music is blaring. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. So, Councillor Foley. Thank you for letting me back in. Um, in regards to noise and I'll do that because uh, quite a lot of my ward is under a flight path and there is um, from on a regular basis particularly at parish council meetings people asking for um, uh, information about uh, you, people can literally some parts of my ward smell you know coming from aircraft from time to time I think it's less than it used to be uh, for, for But she's gone. Oh, no, here it is. Um, we can, but we don't. So we had... So on the noise side of things, we did do previous background noise monitoring, um, which I stopped many, many years ago when I first came here because there was, it was just... It, to get aircraft noise, you have to have a certain software that filters out all the rest of the noise. So you, you, you calculate the actual noise generated by aircraft. And you need specific equipment and specific software to do that. We didn't have that. We were just monitoring noise, ambient noise, all the time. Showed, showed us nothing. So um, that, was, uh, that was something I, 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 I changed. Um, and then there's the locations, trying to find a, a good location for that noise monitoring to take. Um, so we can do that. Um, there is, it is expensive. Like, everything that I deal with is expensive, unfortunately. We can do that. Uh, we have looked at it using our equipment. Um, but we do need to make some changes in order to do that. But what we do do, we engage with Stansted Airport. And I'm on the noise and chat working group. <laughs> I know. This is, it's a conversation. But they do have a mobile meter. They do have a mobile survey. And I'm engaging, I engage with them about where that might go. And there are locations around the district where that has been for long periods of time, where they actually generate that, that information. In respect, sorry, Councillor In respect of air, air quality, we did, do, we did have a, um, a number of years ago a mobile station, air quality station that went out we, we had a quick meeting around this only a couple of weeks ago with various members but that went out to several locations uh, over several years um, we didn't find any particular problems with that um, and it's something that I understand members are keen for us to look at once again uh, and we're in discussions about that Well, so, sorry, Councillor Foley, just before you do, um, just on the issue of air quality monitoring, this is something that is being considered at the moment. 
and we, there will be a report made to this committee on, on what is uh, planned. Thank you for letting me back in. Um, with regard to uh, noise, I mean, we are at the stage now, as you're sure aware, particularly night, uh, evening, night flight noise is becoming a growing problem for certain parts of our uh, district. Um, to the extent, of course, that we have more, going to have more night flights than Heathrow and Gatwick combined. And the, the noise monitoring on uh, most of the areas that are most affected um, are perfect for low ambient noise, then a lot of noise, then, then nothing. So you get less ambient noise in the most affected areas, I understand. And I know that around Gatwick, and in particular, they've been doing, uh, you know, Crawley, uh, we quite um, extensive um, monitoring, particularly uh, under the flight path. With, um, with this in mind, is it something we could, I know it's expensive, uh, but it, but um, we're looking at a tremendous increase in noise, uh, potential noise, uh, and, and I'm sure the industry is doing an awful lot to, to as they always say, to uh, to help. But um, with this in mind, should we not be seeing this higher up the priori priority, particularly given that we may even be building houses under these areas as well in the, in the flight path? Well, sorry, again, if I could come back. Perhaps this could be a point that we take on a subsequent committee meeting to, uh, to, to, to look at that. So I think we would note your, your point, and then perhaps this is something that we should look at at a subsequent uh, meeting. I am. <laughs> but, but, Mr. Watts, if you wish to make a, a, a quick response, then please do. But I, I think this is also something that we should perhaps In terms look of at subsequently. Thank you. In terms of the development control in the houses, yeah, all are subject to environment impact assessment and noise assessment that, that submitted to the council. And if they're high, they have to do mitigation to uh, on the dwellings, and we 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 scrutinise that. Um, if we don't measure, it's not. If we don't measure, it's, yeah. It's, the question is when you when you're looking at whether you're you're measuring is what you're why you're doing it, and if 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 it's to just check that they're compliant with the with their CAA requirements, their noise limit requirements, and their noise contour requirements. Then, you know, I can pretty much with certainty say that they they probably are. Um, and if they're not, it's not us that regulate it anyway. So uh, we would refer that to the CAA, who 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 would investigate that further. So before we would. I would suggest before we go and spend some money about it, we need to look at what the principal objectives behind it, other than just getting that data. And yeah, and I think this is something that we perhaps should look at at a, at a subsequent committee meeting. Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you, Mr. Watts. So, on that basis, yes, Mr. Turner. Oh, yeah. I was quite conscious that um, Councillor Freeman asked the question earlier, which we haven't answered obviously during our discussion, so about the driving proficiency test 
it was asking what it was. It's been introduced on the 1st of June. It was um, agreed at the Environmental and Licensing Environmental Committee on the 20th of March. It's basically um, a test that all drivers would undertake. They check um, the there's two national companies on our website. Drivers choose which one to go with. Um, they contact them, they book it all direct with them. Uh, we take no involvement, only we see the pass certificate at the end. Um, they check their driving licence, they have an eyesight test, they have a 45-minute um, driving test on all different types of roads. Um, they also, in that, I think there's like two reversing movements and emergency stop, things like that included. Um, so basically, there's, it's quite a high level of driving standards and you're only allowed nine faults for the whole 45-minute test, otherwise you fail. I'll have to take it again. Um, we're, a lot of Essex authorities and authorities around the country have already been doing this test for a number of years, so we've decided to obviously to introduce it as well for public safety. Okay, thank you. So, if there are no further questions, comments, I would like to close the meeting at 8.40. Thank you.